Okay, turning your Bibles over the book of Luke, chapter 15. We'll begin there in a moment. Seems darker in here to me, does it to you? I'm not sure exactly why. Tony and I were looking uh, backstage and trying to figure out how to get the lights up higher, but we weren't luck. We weren't uh, successful in doing that. But uh, anyway, <laughs> hopefully that doesn't mean we're in the darkness today. Uh, oops. So how are you feeling today? Great. Feeling good? How are my high school students down here? You guys doing good? Thumbs up? All right. Appreciate the high school students being on the front row. Guys here. And you can catch it all, all the good stuff. The parable that's been assigned to, uh, to me today is the, uh, the parables in Luke 15. And uh, what, what it is, and we'll read through it here in a moment, it's the parable of the, uh, the, the lost sheep, coin, and boys. You know, sometimes you hear the prodigal son. Actually, it's about two boys, uh, two sons. And so you have the, these parables that all come off the first thing that's said uh, right here, and, and then Jesus tells these parables. And so everything is going to sort of filter through the first sentence that we're going to read, and we'll talk about that a little bit, and then all that fits on in. I think in some ways, these are parables that teach us how to think. Now, I don't know if this ever happens to you in life, but things happen in my life, and, and I'm not 100% sure how to think about it. You ever have that happen in your life? Yeah. You're like, I'm not sure how to, you know, uh, imagine this and what impact does this have on me? How should I feel about this? And I think it's a pretty normal thing that happens uh, in all of our lives. Is we're, we're not 100% sure how to think. This, these three parables show us how Jesus thinks about these things that, uh, that we're going to be talking about today, which gives us a good role model of how we should think as well. Because it involves people. People all around us, right? People are wonderful and they're horrible. You know, you you just don't know what you're going to get at which time uh, when you're dealing with people. But this first paragraph here, everything flows through this. So let's read it together. Now the tax collectors and the, quote, sinners were all gathering around to hear Him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Now, when you're muttering, you're not on the good path, okay? <laughs> they, lo- they muttered. So they're sort of speaking under their voice a little bit. They're saying to each other in a little bit of a, uh, a lesser volume. They're muttering with each other. You know, that kind of a thing. Right? They're muttering. This man welcomes sinners... And he eats with them. Now, we know who the tax collectors are, right? That's a pretty well-known concept. Is that the tax collectors are local Jewish people. They're, uh, They're people that have sort of sold out to the Roman government. The Roman Empire... Had, had stretched all the way over to what we would now know as uh, the, the sort of the Middle East there, Jerusalem, uh, and that area around there, Palestine. And, and they've sort of sold out to, to the Romans. And they're collecting taxes for the Roman government 
from their fellow Jews. And it's a well-known fact that they're not only collecting taxes, they're collecting more than they should collect. And so, you know, supposedly, let's just you know, use a number here so we can understand. You owe $500 in taxes to the Roman government. Well, the tax collector comes, and he's got the authority of the Roman army with him. You owe $800 in taxes. And they know that the, the tax collectors are doing this. And so they're sort of raping and pillaging the people and taking their money. And so they resent them because they're, they're uh, betraying them, but they also resent them because they're stealing money from them. Yeah, right. And those are the tax collectors. Now the, quote, sinners, that could mean a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Right? One of the observations I've made in life is that people generally consider bad sins the ones they aren't doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The things that they are doing that are sinful is, well, yeah, everybody has a little problem with that. You know what I'm saying? And so, even to this day, we, are, we can sort of relate with this idea that it's somebody else that's the bad person. It's somebody else that's the sinner. It's somebody else that's out of line. And yeah, I'm not always in line myself, but I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm not as bad as they are. That's sort of who the, quote, sinners are. Now, these three parables are going to come right out of that. Okay, and let's read through them real quickly here. And you'll see a theme as we go along. That The last one is the most known, but the other two uh, are, are great as well. It says, then Jesus told them this parable. So he, he just jumps right in. He knows what's going on. He senses what's in their hearts and what they're feeling, what they're muttering about. And, and, and he goes right in. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So he got this story, guys. He's got a hundred sheep. He loses one. What does he do? He leaves the 99 untaken care of and he is scouring around and he is looking for the one lost sheep. How long does he look for it? Until he finds it. He finds it. He picks it up, puts it on his shoulders. Pretty cool, right? And he brings it on back in and now he's got his whole flock together again. He's got his hundred sheep together. And he says, man, he said, this is like, it's a celebration. This is awesome. This is wonderful. It's a time to rejoice because this lost one is now back where they need to be and and he needs to be. Then he says, you know, he sort of adds right at the end there. He says, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, now there's one little interesting thing is here. You know, there's actually for the condemned and, and conscience out there, there are times in your life when you don't need to repent. Wow. <laughs> you know, for, for those of us who have the accused conscience, we walk around thinking, you know, I've got to repent of something. I'm not sure what it is, but I need to repent. 
Hey, there's times in life when you're doing fine. Enjoy that. There are other times when you may not be. And he says that when one person who needs to repent repents, there's rejoicing in heaven. A party is going on in heaven. Because the one person who needed to repent, repented. Now that ought to make us feel pretty good. Like when Jose got baptized last week, when all that took place, there's a party going on in heaven. Because of the one person here, we're focused in on the one that really needed to come back. And and they did. Okay, and he he just flows right on through. Or suppose, in verse 8, a woman has ten silver coins. Now note, if if you're looking at your footnotes, it's always important to read footnotes in the Bible. The footnote here says that this is a, a ten drachmas coin. Each worth about a day's wages. Now I don't know how much money you make in a day, but however much money you make in a day, that's what this is worth. So this is not like a penny. Okay? This is actually a, a fairly substantial coin. This is worth a fair amount of money, if you know what I'm saying. He's got ten of them, and she loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Notice the similarity? She looks and looks and looks until she finds it. Doesn't quit until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin! In the same way, uh, I tell you, there will be rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. A lot of similarity here, right? Very similar uh, 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 parable or story. She has ten. She loses one. She leaves the ten. She looks for the one until she finds it. Both of these stories. Until she finds it. There's an intent to say that, that this is not just a casual thing. Well, I hope I find it. No, this is I am going after it. I care about this coin. I care about this sheep. Even though I've got 99 over here. Even though I've got 9 that, 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 are, that are saved. 9 other coins. I am going after this thing with an intensity. And then, once again, you have the reaction in heaven to the person who repents. In this case, Jesus puts it this way. He says, There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Well, who is in the presence of of the angels of God. God Himself. God Himself is rejoicing. The Father Himself is rejoicing. The angels around are observing what, how the Father feels about this one person. This one person that needs to repent. And He flows right through now to the third parable. Now this is called the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the lost son. It's really two sons, not just one son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now generally speaking, let's just pause right there. Generally speaking, what has to happen for a child to receive their share of the parent's estate. The parent has to die. 
So this son is saying, in essence, to his father, Father, I wish you'd just go ahead and die so that I could have my share of the estate. Great son, huh? Father, give me my share of the estate. So, he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Well, that's the younger son. And, and we'll come back and we'll talk about that in a moment. Now we have to look at the other son, the older son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You have two sons. You have the party son and you have the bitter son. Very interesting in life, if, uh, if you're in a family that has more than one child, uh, you're, uh, you're often amazed at how different children can be in the same home. Uh, Now, if if you're an only child, you probably don't quite understand that. Uh, Or if you have an only child, you probably don't understand. But if you have more than one child, uh, I can almost assure you, you're shaking your head like, yeah, wow. Can't, Can't believe... That these these two children, biologically from the, the same mom and dad, uh, environmentally raised in the same place, the same home, uh, it could be any different than they are. 
certainly that is very true in many families. I know it was true in my family. Uh, my older brother and, uh, and myself, we, we couldn't be any more different uh, than we are. Not the least of which is, uh, my, my older brother was like, uh, he's about 6'3", almost 6'4". He was that in 7th grade. And, uh, and uh, I, I come along and uh, I am uh, a very uh, short, skinny little kid. Uh, I often, when I meet the children in the church, uh, I'll ask them what grade they're in. And uh, to some degree, I remember how big I was in fifth grade because it's the first year I played Little League football. And I was the smallest kid in the entire league at 65 pounds. So, uh, you know, so you've got, uh, my mother used to say, and this will go way past uh, over your heads, but she said my two sons are Mutt and Jeff. Now that, uh, that, that goes back to a, a comic strip way back uh, even before my time. So I know you don't know what that means down here. So anyway, but she was saying that they couldn't be any more different uh, than they are. And, and that was very true. My brother was, uh, 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 had a lot of uh, athletic ability and had no desire to really uh, get in and go after it. My dad was a coach and so uh, there was a sense of Coach Fuqua's son ought to be wanting to do this, but he just didn't really want to get in and, and, and mix it up, if you know what I mean. And of course, I was the polar opposite of that. Uh, I, I would just, uh, I was ready to hit anybody at any time. Uh, I, I, it was just, you know, and so I sort of get this thing. You got these two sons and they're really on the opposite side. I don't know who you relate with. Do you relate with the party son or the bitter son? I don't answer that. <laughs> uh, I, I think I relate with both of them maybe at different times in my life. Yeah. I think maybe when I was a little younger, I was more the party son, and as I've gotten older, maybe a little bit more the bitter son. Or maybe it changes every day in your life, you know? Uh, I don't know, as, as, as you go along. But you see a lot of the same similar process here that goes on. There's something that's lost. With the, with the younger son, it's easy to see why he's lost, right? Yeah. Dad, give me the money. He took the money, went off to a, a, a far country. Why did he go to a far country? I got to get away. I want to get away. Some of you were like that in life. Man, you couldn't get, you couldn't get away quick enough from your home, from your parents. I want to get away. I want to do what I want to do. I want to uh, howl at the moon. That probably went over your head too. <laughs> Party. Have a lot of fun. He did. He partied and partied and partied and then what he realized is, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm out of money. Now, a lot of us come late with that. <laughs> uh-oh, I'm out of money. I don't have any money. And it got so bad, he had, to, he had to hire himself to go out and work on the farm as a farmhand. And it wasn't a farmhand situation where, where he was being fed. He didn't have anything to eat, didn't have any money. And he started to say, I, you know, I'm so hungry, I think I want to eat what the pigs are eating. I know a lot of you did not grow up on a farm. Uh, I didn't grow up on a farm either, but I grew up in a farming community. And I can tell you where the pigs eat and the conditions where pigs eat is not a good smell. And it's not a good sight. And you would have to be starving to death to want to eat with the pigs. 
And he says, you know, this is just, this is crazy. I got to go back home. And I know I can't go back home as a son, but I'll, I'll offer, maybe my dad will hire me. And it, it, he went off to a, a faraway country, so how, how far was it back home? <laughs> it was a long way back home. And he got there, and, 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 and his dad is waiting for him and watching for him. And he runs out, and he greets him. And, and the son, he's got sort of what he wants to say to his dad all ready to go. And he starts it out, Father, I don't even deserve to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And he says, oh, hush. And, and, and bring the ring, bring the best robe. Yeah, the good one, not that sloppy one. And, 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 and put it on him. Bring it, kill the fattened calf. Let's have a party. Because this son of mine who is dead is now alive again. And so we see the same kind of pattern, right? Going through with, with this story. Now here is where Jesus just slams this, this parable. The older son. Because where did we start? This whole thing started with the tax collectors and sinners were hanging around Jesus and the, the teachers of law and Pharisees were like, what is He doing hanging around and eating with these people? The older son is the tax collectors and sinners. And they're just as lost. The older son is just as lost as the younger son. Just for different reasons and different purposes. It's very interesting because you know he comes in, he refuses to, to go out, and, and he, he lectures his dad, I've worked for you, slaving for you. All these years, I've never had any fun doing any of it. But this son who squanders your property with prostitutes, he he didn't know he was with prostitutes. He was assuming he was. Might have been, I don't know. But look what the father says to him. My son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Wow. You see, the, the, the party boy and the bitter boy are both lost. But the reaction to the, fa- the reaction of the father is, is, is similar in both cases. Now let me bring you back to where, where we started. How do you think? How did Jesus think? And I have three different sort of angles of this. Number one, what was Jesus' thoughts about people who are lost spiritually. What does he think about them? That they need to come home. That they need to come back. I hope they'll come back. How long does he look for them? Until he finds them. What what else do he think about them? I'm sorry? They have value. They have value, yeah. He's concerned about them. He's he's looking out. I mean, that's the amazing thing. The son is gone. He went a long way away. He spent all the money. How long has the father been looking? 
He'd been looking for a long time, I think. As the story unfolds. He's looking and looking. How many times had he gone and looked and he wasn't there? A 10, 20, 40, 100, 500? He looked many, many times. When, if, ah, oh, gosh, I wish he'd come home. Right. I miss him. I want him. I'm concerned for him. I'm scared for him. Yep. Jesus' attitude toward the lost is that he loves them and he cares for them. It's a challenge sometimes to love people for every single one of us in the room. People can be exasperating. They can be disappointing, annoying, irritating. And that's just the people you love. (laughs) You know and I know The feeling you have in life sometimes as you go through and you're like, who are these people? How how can they be the way they are? How can they have the attitude that they have? It's very easy to be the teacher of the law and the Pharisees saying, how can Jesus... Sit down with these people and have a meal. You know, any time in life that we begin our thought or our words with those people, we're probably not going down the right path. You know what I'm saying? Those people over there, wherever over there is, those people who are not like me. And, and, and you can fill in the blanks with racial. You can fill in the blank with ethnicity. You can fill in the blank with men and women. You can fill in the blank with whatever you want to fill in the blank. If, if, if it's sort of, you, you, if you're feeling your attitude, those people! And, and we do that in life. Yeah. We have moments in life. You know, one we laugh at, and maybe it's not a big deal, but it, it illustrates as we're driving down the street, and we're, and we're like, who is that driver? I had that on the way to church this morning. <laughs> what are you doing? And, you know, and we fill in the blank, you know, you idiot. Maybe a really bright person in there, they just got distracted for a second or something like that. <laughs> you don't know. But Jesus' attitude toward people that were different from him. Jesus wasn't a tax collector, nor he was a sinner. Right. Yeah. These weren't people that were just like Jesus. But they were people that needed to be like Jesus. His attitude was one of love, care, patience. Yeah, you can only imagine what it was like having a dinner with the tax collectors and sinners. I'll bet it was an interesting group. (laughs) I'll bet they had some stories to tell. uh, And they told them to Jesus. Isn't it interesting? And we find this, we don't really have time to study it because it's just a limitation of a a sermon time here. But there's many uh, uh, comments that are made about Jesus that He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They, They were saying that not as a compliment, by the way. 
That was not, oh, here, on his resume, friend of tax collectors and sinners. No, it was like, guy's a lunatic. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He doesn't even know how to have a good friend or who he should be friends with. Jesus' attitude toward the lost was one of love. As a matter of fact, in, in Matthew 9, uh, it, it makes a comment that Jesus was going through the towns and villages teaching. He saw the people and He had compassion on them for they were sheep without a shepherd. He felt for them. A, a, a heartwarming, a heart-wrenching kind of a feel toward people around Him that He knew needed to have what He had. And they weren't interested in it right now in their life. He cared about them and He cared about them in a great way. We should think like Jesus. Number two, Jesus' reaction toward repentance. What, what is His reaction toward repentance? Joy. Wow! Awesome! Fantastic! Let's kill the fattened calf! How long had the fattened calf been getting fattened up? <laughs> I don't know. But you know what? I think for, for weeks or months... This was going to be a big celebration somewhere down the road. We are going to do it, baby, when we kill that fattened calf. It is going to be a big deal. And he said, hey, this is the time. Right now. Let's kill the fattened calf. Let's have a celebration that someone is willing to repent. Now, what does it mean to repent? Someone give me a, a dictionary uh, Definition. Turn around. A change of heart that leads to a change of action. You know, repentance is not just feeling bad. It's, it's feeling bad to the extent that you feel bad and then you change the way you behave. If you know what I'm saying. You're going you're gonna to act differently because uh, that you've changed your mind on that thing. Repentance is a change uh, of mind that leads to a change of action uh, in your life. And we see that in the comments he makes about the sheep, the comments he makes about the coin, and we see that in the reaction uh, that he had, that the father has to the younger son when he comes back home. Party time. This is fantastic. This is happy time. We should be really uh, elated that this has happened in this person's life. You know, there's a time, and sometimes uh, uh, righteous or religious people have a hard time partying. Well, I don't know. Well, they did know. And they were really fired up. And they were partying. Hey, you know what? There's a time in your life, it's time to party! It's time to get happy! It's time to enjoy a moment, okay? Instead of just, you know, well, I don't want to overreact. Man, maybe you need to overreact one time just to feel how it feels. Uh, you know, it might be a good look for you uh, to actually get happy uh, to the point where people notice it. Uh, you know, if you're so happy, inform your face, and uh, then we can all enjoy it with you. Uh, if you know what I'm saying, there's a time to party. There's a time to get happy. There's a time to rejoice and be rejoicing. Uh, probably not for USC or UCLA's football teams, but you know, uh, you know. Yeah, I got to tell you, I, I actually felt guilty this morning because I was talking to Raphael about UCLA. He's an alumni of UCLA about the football team. And I, I, I was going on and on and on. And I, I noticed, I, I, this has probably never happened to you in life, but I'm going on and on. And I noticed he's just going, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. 
and, and I thought uh, he's just he wishes I'd shut up, uh, but but he's he's not rude to say that to me. Uh, but anyway, uh, my, my wife just says shut up. But uh, anyway, <laughs> but you know there there's. There's a time to mourn, but there's also a time to rejoice. Amen. Uh, we need to, as the old saying is, we need to schedule William and Mary, and hopefully William doesn't come and we'll win. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. How to get? How do I get on that? <laughs> Jesus' attitude toward repentance. He, he's happy when people repent. And the third thing here. The Father, and, and Jesus is in the role of the Father in the stories, and then that He's authoring the stories. Jesus' reaction uh, uh, and, and His patience toward the sons. He's patient with both of them. You can't say, well, He's really patient toward the younger one, but He's really annoyed with the older one. No, it, it, he's patient with both of them. They're very different, young men. Yeah. And their lives are different. How they view their themselves is different. The way they act is different. Yeah. Both of them have rebelled horrifically against their father. One of them did it by saying, Dad, up yours, I'm out of here! <laughs> The other one says, I hate every minute of it. But I want that money and I'll gut it out until the old bird dies. Both of them were ugly. Both of them were wrong. But the patience, the patience of the Father to come out on that hill and look up the road day after day. The patience of the father that probably sat in his chair in the home and endured the rotten attitude of that older son day after day. In the book of Romans chapter 2, it says that God's patience leads us to repentance. God has been unbelievably patient toward every single one of us. God has gone out and on, on that mound and looked down the road for me. God has gone out and looked on that road for you day after day, time after time. When is Marty ever going to come home? He has sat in that that dining room and seen his older son with a critical, crappy attitude day after day with no graciousness and no gratitude for all that the Father had provided for him. God's Patience leads us to repentance. It leads us to salvation. Anyone who is truly saved understands how patient God has been with them. Whether you're the older son, the party boy, 
uh, or the, 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 the younger son, the party boy, the older son, the bitter boy. God's patience leads us to repentance. It leads us to salvation. And like I said at the beginning, the parables here are fairly straightforward and easy to understand. It's the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son or the lost sons. So you, you can flow through those parables. But to me, the, 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 the thing for us to take away is how does Jesus think? He shows us how He thinks here and how He looks at life, how He deals with life. Because He's dealing here with things that you and I deal with every day virtually of our life. How do we deal with difficult people? How do we deal with people that are different than us? How do we deal with people that, that are not easy for us to deal with? This may be your wife. It may be your husband. It may be your son or daughter. It may be your boss. It may be your neighbor. It may be your in-laws. How do you deal with people? Jesus shows us here how you deal with people. You love them and you be patient with them. How do you deal with someone? How do you think about people who repent? Man, you, you, you just need to say that. It's fantastic. I'm so happy for you. So happy for the good things happening in your life. You know, sometimes when, when people have good things happening in, in their life, uh, to our shame, our first thought is, is well, why, why did that happen for me? Why do all the good things happen to them and nothing seems to happen for me? Jesus is just happy when a person repents. Like, come on, man. I'm happy for you. Uh, it's not about me. It's about you right now. And I'm just going to rejoice and be happy uh, for you. And, and really that last thing. For Jesus' understanding of God's patience, it's, a, it's important for us to think about God's patience. Not how God needs to be patient with the knuckleheads around us. But being grateful for how God has been patient with us. Uh, in our life. And of course, that will lead us prayerfully and hopefully to being patient with those people and having more of a, of a God-like perspective as opposed to uh, our own perspective as we look at life. I hope, the, hope these three parables have been helpful for you today uh, and your thought processes. I hope you walk out a, a better thinker today maybe than when you came in. Have a fantastic week. Now remember, family group leaders, 2 o'clock over in Glendale. Uh, that we're doing, Raphael's doing this project, and I think it's going to be really interesting uh, for all of us uh, seeing how that all comes together. But, uh, and then next Sunday, uh, Chris, am I right? We're right back here, right? Yes. That's correct. Have a great week.